Welcome to the Board of Education, where troublemakers and system breakers gather to discuss how they are dismantling inequity in public education. Calling our meeting to order is Chairman of the Board, Jonathan Santos Silva. What up? What up, man? It's good to see your face. Good to hear your voice. What's up, Doc? Good to see you, Jonathan. Welcome to the Board of Ed. I, man, season, season two is bringing it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really it's really a blessing to hang out with cool folks. I mean, podcasting coming in, it's like, do I have anything to say? You know, people are going to listen. And I realize now too, you know, in second season, almost halfway through, it's like, eh, it, nobody's here for me. We got dope board members. And so every time I get to wake up and kick it with one of them or, or sit here and, and, and um, record with you, man, it's a, it's a blessing, man. I love it. And I'm so inspired. I'm fired. I can't wait to, Talk to everybody about today's episode. Absolutely. And I want to shout out too, by the way, that like you and I had this idea of the Board of Ed uh, years ago. Um, well, I, I can't take credit for it. You had it. I thought, man, that's brilliant. How can I help? Right. Uh, <laughs> so this is all you. But um, it is so much bigger than I thought we we would see it. You know, our, our team is growing. We've got uh, Mimi as our our blogger extraordinaire she's helping us uh take the messages and making them uh really engaging for folks on the board of ed.com that's the b-o-r-e-d of ed.com uh, we got rico as our listener engagement manager he is all over social media with the board of ed or the underscore board of ed on twitter and instagram and the board of ed on facebook uh and, and making sure that we're creating spaces for people to talk about the brilliant things that our board members are saying. So I want to shout out to, to our growing team. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I, have to, I have to echo what you said, like getting to, to connect with you regularly, uh, both as friends and colleagues, but also getting to hear these amazing voices uh, talk about groundbreaking stuff is just uh, inspirational, keeps gas in my engine for sure. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I mean, it goes back to what we, we started this for, um, you know, I was getting tired of hearing and not, no offense, but I get tired of hearing and seeing the same voices peddled as the voice of black America, the mm-hmm. voice of the Latinx community, the voice of, you know, Southeast Asian America. You know, it, how can one person do that? You know, when you think about the diversity, the beauty, the complexity of our communities and what we bring. And so this podcast if nothing else that gets us to uh introduce folks to some brilliant diverse ca- uh, cats from all over the country um and yeah man i i get i get in, i draw off so much uh fuel and fire and inspiration from it so i love doing it and um you know, and it's not diverse i would do diversity. it even if they didn't pay me yeah <laughs> uh, sidebar i don't get paid right <laughs> yeah, yeah like, uh and it's not diversity for diversity's sake it's because yeah. These folks are bringing really innovative ideas, diverse ideas. They mm. are, they are, uh, they represent a diverse voice across the educational landscape, but they're ideas. Like, and that's where I think that's, that's, I think the real, like the real big win, like when we diversify and we, we, we really get to bring everybody to the table, the new ideas that come out of that are just like unbelievable. And so I'm excited mm-hmm. to hear from Hassan today um, mm-hmm. as we move into uh, this episode. Yeah, I'm a big idea guy. 
um, I can spend me back to college, right? Sitting in a dorm room and wrapping together about ideas, how we're going to change the world and impact the world. But the reality is that there's a big difference from being um, or staying in the talking phase and mm-hmm. then moving into action. And our guest today, Hassan Hassan. Yes, that's right. I didn't double take. It's Hassan Hassan. He's the CEO of 4.0 schools. He is one of those guys that um, doesn't just like uh, have a brilliant idea, but he's all about bringing it to reality. Um, but rather than have me introduce him, I'm going to let Hassan do it for himself. Hassan, how would you like to introduce yourself today? Assalamu alaikum. Uh, my name is Hassan, Sadiq Hassan. Um, I am, I serve currently as the CEO of 4.0, and we are a national um, venture philanthropy that invests in people who want to design the future of school. Oh, so like for someone who's hearing that and it's like, that sounds really interesting. I'm not quite sure what that looks like. Can you give us some examples of the work that 4.0 does or how you partner with you know, different um, innovators and entrepreneurs? Yeah, so the guiding belief that we have is that all people are uh, capable of envisioning a positive future for themselves um, and they know better than anyone what they um, what they want to pursue um, um, in terms of their own vision for their future. And what stands in the way um, are always resources that create real barriers for people to take um, the, the steps towards that vision. So you know our job is to identify, those, those barriers, um, which are um, always going to be rooted in systemic inequities that have been um, part of this country, part of this world um, for, um, uh, for lifetimes. And just over time, remove barrier after barrier after barrier until we can all be free. So we've done a lot of talking this season about how, um, you know, the pandemic, well, in in season one, about how the pandemic was a major disruption, created opportunities for us to reimagine education. And then this year, we're really drilling down into how do we use this moment to make schools more human? Yep. But it sounds like you know, 4.0 from, from its inception has recognized, you know, pre-pandemic that things weren't working, you know, weren't working perfectly for everybody. How does that, you know, in terms of, I, I'm familiar with it, the, like the essentials fellowship, the tiny fellowship, how does this work with entrepreneurs from the various communities you serve in, get us to a future where our schools, our communities, our systems do actually work better for the people who live in them? Yeah. So, you know, when I, I like when I when I try to talk to people about the opportunity that philanthropy specifically, uh, 4.0 being one of those organizations that are within the the system of philanthropy can can do, I'm just gonna give an example. Like today, if you live in Silicon Valley, 
you have an idea for a new, let's call it a dating app. You know, there you already know you can go to um, a a list uh, like existing institutions and infrastructure um, that can help you raise, you know, a couple of thousand dollars up to a hundred thousand dollars. You can then go quit your job, hire a team, start the uh, start building this 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 dating app um, and and scale it from there. Um, what system, what is the analogy here when it comes to education? Um, when um, a teacher uh, who has been um, teaching for um, um, all of their professional career are like know the families that they work with, know the kids uh, that they uh, have been teaching and what they need to, especially in this moment, um, where can they go right now? and be able to um, raise, uh, find resources that again are available to them with the right terms um, so that they can create a different learning model that actually meets the needs of their, of their students. Where does a parent today who wants to, um, who has seen maybe their, their children struggle over the past um, academic year um, in the existing school system, where can they go right now and to find resources to join forces with other parents in their neighborhood and launch their own school or launch their own um, homeschooling collective? Um, you know, for me, this is this is the role that philanthropy has to play, especially education philanthropy, is to move resources as early as possible to the people. Um, again, specifically the young people, the parents, the educators um, in communities across the country who have been innovating without resources um, and making sure that they have the, these resources to be able to um, stand up new models that actually meet uh, their own needs. You know, full transparency for, you know, for our community, <clears throat> the Library Institute you know, where I work, you know, which, uh, you know, supports this podcast. Um, we were funded by 4.0 schools. We were a tiny fellow. Uh, we received, you know, thousands of dollars that, you know, allowed us to try something that nobody else would fund. You know, we were wanted to launch a culturally responsive teaching fellowship for educators on the reservations in South Dakota. Something that hadn't been done. We didn't really know what it would look like. And so what I love about 4.0 is not only the fact that it gave me the funding, which unlocked the possibility, but, um, you know, you, you all, you guys also talk about the, the, you know, the, the time, the talent, the, you know, all these other ways that you leverage the resources, right? So providing us with coaches provide, you know, models, you know, things that we could look to and say, Oh, you know, if I want to, if I'm trying to do a fellowship, this is an example. If I want to, if I have a tech product, Here's an example. So it's so much more um, than just money. Money is a big part of it, but it's like, it's a whole, it's a plethora of resources that you and your team invest in us as entrepreneurs or as uh, innovators that helps us get from, you know, idea on paper to actually setting up the pop-up school or actually trying out the software in a beta with some, with potential customers. Um, 
I mean, I don't know. For me, I, it's, it was hard to find an organization similar to 4.0. Are there other places or has 4.0 really kind of carved out a niche for itself in terms of the way that you invest in people and communities? Yeah, there are definitely other organizations um, that we see as our peers that we learn from um, and, uh, and partner with. Um, so there's organizations like Camelback Ventures led by Aaron Walker that, you know, really try to make sure that they uh, provide that, like fill that friends and family um, um, round and, 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 and provide the resources for entrepreneurs like you, Jonathan, um, at the earliest stage um, when they're launching a new um, education venture. Um, and I think for me, the, uh, the bigger opportunity, honestly, that, we, um, that, that I see is not necessarily institutions like 4.0 and like, um, you know, again, like Camelback that we, we really um, are inspired by. It's actually people like you and me, <laughs> Jonathan, um, who can pool our own resources um, to fund um, these early stage entrepreneurs. And again, this is nothing new, right? Like I sometimes just have to always remind myself, like when I see my mom um, growing up uh, and to this day being in giving circles with other mothers um, in, uh, in her hometown where, you know, every month they, they, every, each, each one of them puts some money. It's not a lot, but it's, it's, it's a, it becomes a lot when there's a, a big group. And then they, um, every month, end up allocating that, uh, that funding to either a member of that, uh, of that giving circle um, or uh, someone in the community that they're a part of that, uh, who needs that money. Um, they, they do that organically. It is based on trust. They don't necessarily take minutes, you know, every time that they meet. It's truly a relationship, you know, a, a relationship based on um, interlocking, you know, interests and values and family um, lines, right? That says, I am invested in you as a person. Um, and I want you to be able to tackle whatever challenge that is in front of you today, follow whatever dream that you have for yourself. Um, and, you know, we, if, if we were going to, like, if zoom back and look at models like this that exist um, um, here in the, also here in, in the social sector, we can look at um, um, what, how, how small donor, how small donors have created um, pathways for very different candidates in politics to run, to launch and run their campaigns, um, even in the private um, investment um, industry. There are large um, networks of angels, and these are typically former entrepreneurs who have seen the journey themselves of what it takes to launch a new venture 
and are much more willing to take bigger risks than that um, than any other institutional um, you know VC is willing to take. Um, it's again based on relationship with with the with the entrepreneurs that these angels fund. Um, and for me, that's where I see the biggest opportunity. Um, I think institutional philanthropy will always be uh, will will never be willing to take the risks that we need them to take, um, um, especially at these early stage venture, uh, early stage of uh, of education entrepreneurship. Um, and that's what we're what I see as the future of this um, of this work. If you're a part of the board of Ed Village, you're in our village, and you're going, "Why are we talking about philanthropy?" Yeah. Like, Season one and most of season two so far, we're talking to people who are like on the ground. Yeah. Um, and so it feels, it might feel like we kind of turn directions on you, but uh, hear me out. This season alone, we talked to Kim Neal, mm-hmm. uh, Kimberly Neal Branham, who's a phenomenal school leader, Angelo Garcia, phenomenal school leader. They're public, you know, charter public schools, so they get, you know, f- public funding. But both have had uh, have benefited from additional philanthropy yep. to do things to go above and beyond to provide their kids with opportunities that they might not otherwise have. And so the reason we're getting into philanthropy is because done well, it can enable us to think more creatively and expansively about what education can be about. And it, it's not just the schools. We're gonna, as we go through the season, you're going to meet Randy Saraguchi, who's... Um, uh, trying to bring more uh, black and brown men into the classroom in the California, you know, the San Francisco Bay Area. You're going to meet uh, Mickey Tomita, who's introducing design and human-centered design work in in, Haw- in Hawaiian communities. So these folks can't do that for free, right? And, and I heard the saying go, right? We don't do this for free. We do it for freedom, right? Yes, that cost yes, money. yes. I, you know, um, I and and full transparency. I work for an education nonprofit, right? Um, And I think there's there's a broad misconception for folks who aren't in the education field that like like schools are operating and and the government gives them money and and that like schools can't do what they do on the money they're given from the federal government. And, and the money that we get from the federal government is to keep the doors open and to keep the kids coming in status quo. We are not going to improve schools where we're sitting right now. We need innovators uh, and, and um, we need, you know, system breakers and system changers. And that costs money. And, and, and that's not going to come initially from, from that, that common bucket that constantly gets chopped down and chopped down and chopped down by politics or whatever. So um, I, I do, th- I, I'm with you, Jonathan, like I'm sitting here going for, for, for the first year teacher who's listening to this podcast, we may go in like, I don't like y'all, y'all took a left turn somewhere. If you look in your building, if you look um, in your network, the, a large part of what you do is enabled likely by uh nonprofit organizations and, and, and philanthropic organizations in education. And so it, it is become an essential part, right? Quality education, mm. uh, in, in the United States. 
Right. Yeah. And just, you know, to kind of not to belabor the point, but even uh, right when you mentioned nonprofit organizations, you have community partners that are doing work in your school that are partnering with you and making some cool opportunities possible. It's highly likely that whatever your school is kicking into that uh, work is probably subsidized by philanthropy. All right. I mean, and so here, here in Indianapolis alone, right? Like the, one of the largest uh, te- new teacher pipelines is funded by an educational philanthropic organization, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and you go, well, that, that, you know, outside the organization, out, outside of education, you're like, well, why is that? Well, there's a problem. <laughs> and schools, right. schools can't use the money they have to, to, to recruit, train, and certify new teachers. That's a massive investment. And so right. there are organizations across the country who are investing money or providing money for communities and schools to address the problems that just aren't being addressed anywhere else. Right. And, and so that is a big, that's why we're talking about philanthropy. And then the next level of it is as much good as philanthropy can do. We also understand that it's not doing, it's not always doing as much as it could do. Right. And, 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 and some of that, you know, it's, there's, you know, uh, racism, um, sexism, all of the isms that exist in general society exist in in philanthropic circles, but also, you know, not to, I don't also want to demonize philanthropy. There's also just a part about there's risk when you put money into projects and it's part of the way we're wired. We tend to be more comfortable and more confident in giving money to people we're familiar with or people who, uh, whose ideas are we're comfortable with. And so there is a you know, cycle where if most of the decision makers historically in philanthropy have been white male mm-hmm. and, and, and more conservative thinkers potentially, then they're going to support ventures and ideas that, that they're comfortable and familiar with, even if we're not assuming any negative intent. That's yeah. an idea I understand. I also believe in that leader. I'm going to put money there. And that is why it's so important we talk to someone like Hassan, who does not fit that mold. He is, um, you know, young He's a Sudanese American. He came to this country. He benefited from opportunity in the schools. So he's coming to this work with a, a varied perspective. So he took, he takes chances. He, he and his team take chances on entrepreneurs like myself, on school leaders like a Kim. Uh, not saying that Kim went to 4.0, but like him, who has an idea that doesn't fit the mold, but um, who speaks in a way that Hassan, Hassan understands. He tells, yeah. she tells a story that he, that, that resonates with him. And I think just to connect the dots here, like, yes, we're talking about philanthropy being essential here, but it's also, you know, it's all part and parcel of the the process. And so if somebody gives a school money, we go, oh, that person, that person must be well-intended and all that other stuff. But the, 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 the inequities that, that persist in public education persist in public education philanthropy sometimes. And so, so while, while, you know, handing a check over to a school seems like a, a something that, that sh- should get sort of uniform, unconditional gratitude. Sometimes those checks have riders attached mm. that, that, that end up perpetuating systems of inequity, um, which I think is, is one of the things that Hassan and his team are trying to dismantle, right? Like, right. There, there's this this 
this uh, vision of the well-intended white person, and I speak about speak to, to this uh, as as someone who identifies as a well-intended white person, but there are still things that 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 philanthropy does that is rooted in the sort of white supremacy culture that prevents mm-hmm. that money from actually doing what it can do because right. we say here's what it has to do. And that I think that's where Hassan and his team are so incredibly innovative. Right. And that they are, you know, 4.0 team. That's like family. So in full disclosure, uh, the Liber Institute, you know, we were um, a part of the tiny fellowship. Right. So we, we have much love for 4.0. Um, so they're dope. They're dope as hell. If you have not, I uh, don't know what they do. You got to check them out after this episode, um, but don't go yet because we're going to get into it because th- there's a really cool um, new program that they launched last year called the angel syndicate. And I was a member of the angel syndicate and we're going to get into that with Hudson directly, but just suffice it to say, it is uh, all about changing who makes decisions about where phil- uh, philanthropic dollars go in the interest of what you just said, ensuring that we are like not recreating systems that disadvantage certain voices, but really put creative, innovative, community-led solutions at the center of our work. Yeah. Well, let's let's hear where where did that come from? As a as a leader of an organization, uh, a nonprofit that also that raises money, as well as um, um, invests uh, money and write and writes grants. You know, I get to see both sides, right? Like I'm typically in rooms uh, with funders. Um, who typically um, don't look like me um, um, and I'm having, I'm telling a story that uh, like in, in terms that are aligned to their interests, their values. Um, and then I'm, I'm in another room with the founders that we invest in who mostly look like me um, that where the conversation um, that we're having is oftentimes different about the, the challenges that they see in their own journey. Um, and, you know, for me, the idea for the Angel Syndicate really came from um, an acknowledgement that we have to be, like, we are the philanthropists that we've been waiting for. Um, and I'm talking specifically about, um, you know, Black, Indigenous uh, people of color um, who are leading so much of the innovation um, today, um, definitely the innovation toward equity in education, making school more human. Um, so we got to fund ourselves. Like, I just think it is, it, you know, no one is going to be um, willing to take um, risk in us more than us. And I am like, th- 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 this, this question for me um, of, you know, could we get to a place of um, independence? of like true self-determination when it comes to designing the future of school. Um, that, that's, that's the question that ultimately um, animates me and gets me uh, up and going every, every single day. 
So, so the goal of the angel syndicate was just to, to start to build power. And it starts by bringing people together. You know, in the beginning, we said, let's see if we can bring um, 20 Black people together who are willing to give $1,000 of our own money um, to fund early stage um, uh, education entrepreneurs. We got 50 to raise their hand. You're one of them, <laughs> Jonathan. I'm one of them, right? And we, we each put, again, $1,000 of our own money um, to, tr to, to this process um, and started to meet um, um, a couple of times a month. Also, just to, to learn from other Black philanthropists who have been doing this work, um, to talk about how we want to make decisions, um, what are going to be the kind of the operating principles that we will, um, well, we will use when making decisions. And when I look at the past year, that space was probably one of the most healing spaces for me, you know, as, as somebody who is again in the field of philanthropy, often engaging with philanthropists, like people who identify as philanthropists, who again, don't look like me. It was so healing and inspiring to me, you know, to be in a Zoom room with 50 other black philanthropists, right? Mm -hmm. For us to be able to like, to, 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 to claim that identity. That again, we have a rich history in, right. in having, um, to just remind ourselves that $50,000, you know, that, 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 that we all pledged um, to, to give away has power. There's power in that. Uh, there's power in that if we keep doing it every, every year. There's power of that if we keep growing that to 5,000 um, uh, members of this, of this uh, giving circle. Um, so so that, has, that, that was always the, the driver uh, yeah. behind the initial idea. Well, I think I'm going to echo that. That was a really powerful space um, for me as a participant, as a you know, as an angel. I think it, you know, we're talking about making schools more human, but as an entrepreneur who's on the side of or has been on the side of trying to raise money, and you know, feeling sometimes like you're just begging people, or that like, um, are they going to get where I'm coming from? Do they really understand the community and why this is important? You know, you have those questions, and I think those are valid questions, right? They help you hone, you know, the stories that you're going to share, the the narrative about your organization that is most compelling and really drives home the the need. But doing going through this experience with others who have been in my seat and where we're taking on this mantle to now to give almost like a pay it forward type thing, it humanized philanthropy for me, right? It helped me say that like when I'm pitching, I'm not pitching to some you know, faceless, nameless, boy, these are people just like us. And to your point, they may have different uh, life experiences than I do. They may have different, you know, realities that they exist within, but they're people just the same, right? And they have uh, a mandate. They have these funds that they need to invest just like we did. We raised our money together. We wanted to invest and we had goals that we set, right? We wanted to make sure that we were elevating other black entrepreneurs, other women, you know, LGBTQ uh, folks, like we wanted to invest in people who are least likely to have 
access, like you said earlier, all this capital. And I don't know, I feel like it's changed the way I even talk to philanthropists now. I mean, I still respect and appreciate what their role is in the ecosystem, but um, they're not on a pedestal, right? Because it's an exchange. They may be giving me money, but I am, you know, if, if they, if they invest in me, I am, you know, whatever, a lot helping them to fulfill whatever goals they set as far as investing this money, impacting teachers or developing, you know, indigenous leaders or leaders of color. So like, it's, uh, it's not just out of, you know, it, it is out of the goodness of someone's heart, but it's not just like they're giving this money away for no reason. They're giving it to me because, and if they choose to, it's because I also am providing something to them. And that, that's a healthy exchange it's a reciprocal relationship. So yeah, definitely like, you know, I'm maybe rambling, but it definitely, it, it, it shifted a lot of things in my mind in terms of how I approach philanthropy or any of that stuff. Now I feel like I bring value to the table. I'm not just looking for, for money. I oh, love yeah. hearing that story just of your, um, of, of how that experience has shifted um, just your interactions today with philanthropists. It reminds me, just hearing your reflections, remind me of a book that really was helpful for me at the early stages of developing this project, which was um, Decolonizing Wealth by Edgar Villanueva. And he talks specifically about the shift that this, this system of philanthropy needs to make out of altru like altruism as a... As a as the defining um, um, like motivation for giving, like this this again this charity um, dynamic that says one group has something, the funder, and another group needs something, uh, the founder, into um, a, a more reciprocal uh, dynamic, as you talked about, Jonathan where we're basically saying we have we each have a role to play it's really as simple as that <laughs> you know if you're a funder your role is to give money <laughs> it is literally <laughs> your only job <laughs> is to give the money um and if you are uh the the project leader you're actually the one doing the work um and you're each just simply doing your job um, in this community um, that we are both a part of. Um, and for me, that is powerful, right? Um, it's just being able to say, uh, like to make that shift um, that this, this isn't coming from a place of, of charity. Um, this is coming from a place of um, clarity of your role in the ecosystem. Now we can go a layer deeper, right? And, and talk about how was the money accumulated what, you know, in the first place, um, um, especially when we talk about traditional philanthropy, you know? And, and again, like once you, once you unpack, once you go deeper, you know, the relationship shifts from not just clarity of your from your of your role but also just accountability and in some cases atonement um, of your like based on your your previous roles up to this um, um, that got you to this stage 
which is why like the, the, for me that this like the shift has to like the, the shift you talked about needs to happen um at a at the systemic level um in philanthropy um because the from from my perspective the posture that philanthropists should have is a posture of humility um, um and um i think even just getting to that place um would would change so much of what we see, like the types of ideas that we get funded, that we see funded, the types of people who are receiving funding um, would, would completely change. Yeah. The posture of humility is that phrase. That's, that's one of those nuggets that we're going to take from this episode, right? Mm -hmm. uh, God, man, I mean, like, I understand what Hassan is, is talking about, but I think that's applicable everywhere. I think, mm -hmm. I think we all need to do a little posture check and go as, as hard as we work and as at tech, checking all of our intentions, a posture of humility is essential to doing the work of education. That is so powerful to me. It, it is. And he lives it, you know, I, I'll give you a quick, a really quick story. So we're in uh, New Orleans for the kickoff to my cohort of the tiny fellowship. Mm -hmm. And there are a bunch of fellows, including myself in this room. And so I don't know, they, uh, they being 4.0 had probably invested over a hundred thousand dollars or whatever in, you know, across all of our things in these very small pilots. And so we're kicking it and we're all in early stages. And he's like the leader of this incredible team that's making our work possible. And so a handful of us decide to kick it. This is pre pandemic. And so we go to some rooftop, of someone's uh, apartment, we're just hanging out. And like, someone must have texted or whatever. And Hassan shows up and he's like, I wanted to come. I wanted to hear what y'all talking. I wanted to see mm -hmm. what ideas are going to come from this mashup. Like, so he's not like, you know, talking about humility, but living a different life, right? Like he, he's, he's as much as you can be uh, having your ear to the ground where you're, when you're also in those boardrooms he talked about earlier, he does this, he makes the effort to keep that ear to the ground. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'm. Yeah, I guess I, you know, the, the idea of it, of it being a posture uh, translating into a, a you know a, a true lived experience, I think is is uh, so critical. Uh, before we before we uh, jumped on this episode, you had mentioned the youth cast transfer pilot. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, let's 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 let him talk a little bit about that because this is, I think, where the rubber meets the road just to share a little bit about what the pilot is and then I'll get into the why behind it. Um, the pilot that we're running right now is with a um, high school here in New Orleans called uh, Rooted School. Um, and um, we, right now there are 10 students in this high school who are getting $50 a week, um, every week for a year. And the, uh, we are, we're eight months in right now. Um, the, uh, the, 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 the other kind of important element of, of this investment is that it is truly unconditional. So there are no strings attached at all with that investment. Um, the young people can choose how to spend the money, 
um, they can choose to save it. They can choose to uh, spend it in whatever they want. Um, they can, and we don't track that. They can choose to uh, give it to their family. Um, and part of what we're really trying to learn is, you know, we what what do they identify as the things that they need right now, and what decisions do they end up um, making? Um, but more importantly, we're trying to have a broader conversation uh, with, again, with, with ourselves and with philanthropy around why, you know, why can't we trust young people directly um, to make the decisions um, that, they, um, that they want to make uh, and let them teach us how we can best help them. Um, and, and that was really the, the beginning of this project Jonathan, it was, you know, again, going back to the fundamental questions, like who gets funded today to design the future of school? Uh, why? And, you know, the more we look at the data that you and I know, <laughs> it affirms our intuition, <laughs> you know, which is um, the people who get funded are the people with proximity to power and specifically proximity to institutional philanthropy, to the funders who are actually writing the checks. They get to, they are typically removed from um, communities um, and they are typically removed from youth, like the people who are most impacted by the, this education system um, that we are talking about changing. And this project was just designed to cut through the noise and just say, we believe no one knows better how to what, what a high school student in New Orleans needs in this moment than a high school in, a high school student in New Orleans. So let's just put the money in their hands and let them teach us um, how to best support them. Again, it's important to acknowledge, just like I talked about my mom um, uh, with the Angel Syndicate. Uh, this model is also not new. Um, you know, Dr. King talked about. Um, uh, the, like the importance of a guaranteed income as a direct solution to poverty. Um, and this pilot in my mind is just part of that lineage. It's to say, you know, the best solution to poverty is just to give people money directly um, and trusting them to make the right decisions from themse for themselves. Uh, and I think that's true in education um, and it's true for youth who do know what they want. So I know that the project is still ongoing, it's still studying, but can you share some you know, early learnings or even like anecdotes? How have some young people used the funds? Um, what are they doing with them? I, I mean, I don't know. Is there a, any type of journaling or reporting mechanism where they're sharing what, what this is doing for them? Like that'd yeah. be cool to hear. Absolutely. So we're running this uh, pilot as a research study um, with um, the same researchers who are currently running a, a bigger pilot uh, in the city of Stockton um, in California. That actually has been the pilot that has inspired us to, to run this pilot with youth. Um, and, you know, every, every week they fill out a, um, uh, a survey um, that where we ask them 
you know, how have they um, used the funds? Uh, and again, it's not monitored. They, like, it, it's not with the intention of monitoring, but it's just an, an, an intention of learning uh, with them. And some of the early uh, initial things that we are seeing is that young people are using it to help out their families. They are using it to plan for their future. You know, whether that looks like starting a t-shirt, you know, a company on the side to make some extra cash um, or, you know, paying for a FAFSA application um, um, or, or some support uh, for, to pay for, for a, a college application. So these are, you know, we're excited to see what we're going to learn from this pilot um, at the end of this calendar year. Um, but honestly, if I think about like the biggest, the bigger lesson <laughs> that we are having right now, Jonathan, it's again with the adults, like how can we as the adults um, trust youth more um, and really let go of, um, uh, of, of conditions when we are investing? And then two, how might we, like it is much harder <laughs> to give away cash than we definitely thought at the beginning of, uh, of this pilot. You'd think it's really simple, right? Really easy to just pay, um, um, just move the money to, to, um, to, to, the, um, to the hands of the young people. Uh, but, it, but the logistical, um, um, you know, requirements to make sure that this doesn't inadvertently, you know, harm um, the young people or their families by changing, you know, but by, you know, getting them to, you know, exit from their eligibility to certain social services or creating impact in terms of the tax liability like just making sure that we can navigate the um, policies that govern how, um, you know, how money uh, determines your access to different social services um, has, been, has been a challenge, um, but it's one that we think is the right challenge to take on at this yeah. time. Yeah. I think what's so powerful about this idea is how many I don't know, third rail or taboo type conversations. It just blasts right through, right? Like the idea of giving people money, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so that they can just live life, yep. right? Like a base level without like any preconditions. Number one, the idea that those people that we give the money to are young people. Number two, like yep. that we're trusting young people with money. Um, like, and then we can go on and on. Um, but the project, what it shows me is like, especially if, if, if you're anyone who's interested in any type of creative, uh, like universal basic income type ideas or, you know, uh, jobs guarantee work or any like, um, even like a, um, tax rebate programs that are about trying to like change the way we think about getting circulating money mm -hmm. and enabling people to make choices and actively participate in their lives. And they just like, 
destroy all of that and go, hey, well, let's give some money to kids and see what they do. Yeah. And to see kids starting businesses or investing for their future. I mean, they're they're living up to the highest self, right? Like it's like one of those ideas of back to the classroom. If you uh, assume that your kids are brilliant and can do brilliant things, then they do. And if yep. you assume yep. that you give kids money, that they'll make powerful choices for their future, they do. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, it's almost dismantling this system of manipulation, right? Like you, 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 we, we, give these programs and these mo- this money and all this, all these resources with all of these conditions to go, what I'm really doing is making you do what I want you to do because I have the power of the purse to, to manipulate that. This feels like, Hey, we're going to give you the education you need and trust you to make the decisions that are best for you. And that is, sadly innovative right like the, like the idea right. that we have I mean, to teach, I, you know hey you we're going to give you this money but you can't spend it on these things these things these things well that means that i have to spend it on this thing you want me to spend it on so so either tell me that but don't manipulate me don't don't yeah it's like the henry ford version of choice right like you can yeah. have any Model T in any color you want, as long as it's black. You can do anything with the money you want, as long as you buy this. Yeah, right? I, I know there's some teachers out there in the village who can relate to that. Mm-hmm. You can do anything you want with your kids, as long as it's not this, this, that, that, this, that, that, this, this, this. The oh, okay, so you want me to read the scripted curriculum? Okay, you should have just said that. And that that breeds out the power of diversity, right? Mm-hmm. If if all we ever do is here, here here's here's the thing, just just do it within this narrow range. Where, do, where does the great new idea come from? Right. Where does the next great thing come from if we make every kid, every teacher, and every leader walk in the same line down the hallway? It, mm. it, it, we prevent it from happening. We're preventing potential greatness, right? And mm-hmm. I think that's, that's, that's dangerous, man. It is dangerous. And then you flip back to what? Hassan and the 4.0 and everyone on the pilot are doing that's that's exciting mm-hmm. and, and you know it begs the question you know uh if 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 a little creative thinking and a little bit of funding can enable such a cool pilot to happen and so many cool outcomes for these young people then it makes it begs the question for us as a, as a community of listeners of, as a community of educators and believers what is our role what is my role in this impossible future? The question, the way that you frame that question is also really powerful, Jonathan, which is what is my role, right? So like if you, I would begin with the assumption that there is a role for you. Like you have a role to play. Um, and the, um, the question that I think, I, like I ask myself, the organization that I lead ask, ask itself is just what is this role right now? Um, that can that I can play. Um, if you're, you know, if you are, if you have the ability to um, to be to give money, even if it's um, you know, um, like a couple of a um, uh, hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, if that's the role that you can play, then see yourself as a philanthropist. There are so many organizations, so many giving circles that are looking for people like you to play that role. Um, 
if you are the one um, who can see yourself um, leading an organization, just like you, Jonathan, um, then play that role, right? There are organizations like uh, 4.0, like Camelback that can help you in that journey. Um, but if you have um, the experience to design a different learning model um, that can make school more human, you know, talk to, um, like, let's connect, let's talk to people um, who have taken that step, uh, who can help you um, take it too. Um, and, you know, again, the most important role in, in this conversation is the role of um, the families, the young people um, who are ultimately, again, the ones who have their own vision for what their future would look like. You know, like stay firm in your, in your own vision um, and join forces with um, other families, other young people um, who want what you want. Um, because, you know, again, the shift that we, we all have to make is to listen to you, to trust you um, and what you want for your own future. Um, and, um, and I think all of the other roles would be so much easier <laughs> and clearer um, if we, again, adopt that posture of, of listening and trusting to you, the families, the educated, uh, the families, the young people um, who should tell us what success actually looked like. Um, in the beginning, you talked about your identity and the different facets of it. And um, so this is a question that I kind of stumbled on talking to a, an earlier uh, board member. And I was just like, man, this is a good question. Not because I came up with it, but because of the answer it evoked. Um, what would you say to first to young Hassan, you know, young people who go to schools today and show up in the way you do as young black men, as Muslim men, as maybe immigrants or the children of immigrants? Um, what words of encouragement, of inspiration do you have for them? Um, and then also, what do you say to the educators who who love them and care for them and want to serve them and want to create environments and spaces for them to excel and to thrive and to be able to achieve their dreams in much the way that you are. What, what is the advice for those educators, those innovators, those philanthropists that want to serve? So I'd say one word, heal. And for me, that word means so much, you know, it's just for us to heal our, heal ourselves, um, heal our relationships with each other and and help others who are in their own journey of healing. Um, yeah, I think if we, if we start there, um, I really think we're, we're unstoppable. That, that's the advice I'd give my, my younger self. And it's honestly the advice that I'm giving my current self <laughs> is, is just this, this journey of, um, of healing. Yeah. Journey of healing that like could, is, is there a more human thing than, than the need to heal? I right. Don't. Well, I think that goes back to the beginning, right? We were like, hey, it may feel like a detour, mm -hmm. but here we, we're right back on, uh, on, on track. We're on our cross-country journey to healing, right? Yep. Hassan, I want to you know, thank you for being on the show. Shout out to you. Shout out to your team at 4.0 School for all the awesome and dope work that you do. Um, we appreciate you.
Thanks for coming on the show. Um, and I also want to thank all y'all for listening, right? For, for hanging out with us for, you know, here we are barreling through season two, telling great story week after week. Yeah. And uh, obviously, if you if this is your first time listening, thank you for joining us. Uh, there's tons more content and other episodes available at uh, the board of ed.com. That's the B-O-R-E-D of ed.com. Uh, check out uh, uh, Twitter and Instagram at the underscore board of ed. Uh, and of course, we're, we're on Facebook there too. check out uh, Rico's social media posts and engage with us as we respond to your comments and uh, check out on the board of ed.com, the B-O-R-E-D of ed.com. Uh, for for Mimi's blog, shout out to our growing team as we we continue to try and and get these great messages from our board members out there. Jonathan, mm-hmm. send us send us away with your final thoughts, my friend. Yeah, man. You know, usually I say I, I tell you about how much I appreciate all of you, each and every one of you, for listening, what you do in um, in your work. Uh, but today, I want to encourage you to appreciate show appreciation to someone else. We are going through time of unprecedented uh, turnover in our in our in our field uh, because people don't feel supported. They're they are not feeling empowered or enabled to be on that healing journey. So encourage someone, acknowledge, celebrate, encourage them uh, to listen to us, right? To join this village, right? Because this is a, a community of people who care about education deeply, who care about each other, and want it to be sustainable so that uh, we can be out here for our kids. So. Uh, do that for someone. Take note. Um, you might be, might just be keeping somebody in the field. Be the person you needed when you needed it. I think it's key. So, uh, thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. Stay bored. Yeah. Yeah.